Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the staff scheduling app for hospitality teams. Rotacloud lets you create and share rotas, record attendance, and manage your team's annual leave, all in less time than it takes to make a brew. It can also make life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday, and even pick up extra shifts, all through the Rotacloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Philip Eels, co-founder of Pineapple and a burger company you might have heard of. Coming up on today's show, Philip gives us some founder's advice. Moving fast and breaking stuff. More hard-hitting journalism from Phil. Do you eat any other food other than burgers? And Philip recounts one of the many wild ride moments from his story. If this Ted goes, then that's the end of our business because that was two grand and we haven't got two grand. All that and so much more as we chat through Philip's quite remarkable story so far. Underneath this fun-loving founder is a guy with monumental drive and as such there are all manner of great lessons and stories from his journey. A massive thank you to Philip for giving up his time. Please don't forget to give us a like and a share. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Philip Eels. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm sat on my balcony uh, and I've got a gin and tonic. You told me it was like a, you know, a nice relaxed chat. These guys Absolutely. Are. It's Friday, I've got a little G&T and I thought, you know, I'll come and, come and, and, and chat some stuff with you for now. So, I nearly contemplated, I've had such a hell of a week, I just nearly contemplated having a beer for this, but I have gone, I've gone all professional on my myself with a coffee instead. Yeah, yeah, you're a better man than me. The beer is coming. The beer is coming. So, how's life? What, 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 what are you up to? Nothing really going on in your life at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, life's good. Uh, it's yeah, busy, busy. I'm, um, I'm doing lots of things, which is fun. You know, I've stepped back a bit from honest. I'm sure we'll get we'll get into the honest stuff in a bit. I'm sure, and in, with my relative freedom of not having to talk about burgers and chips every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing. So I'm just sort of figuring it out a little bit, really. I mean, it's been my life for 12 years, you know, and I'm obviously it's still a huge part of my life uh, and my working life. But, um, yeah, I, I, you, you sort of take a bit of a step back and you think, well, what do I want to do and where can I add value? And, I, yeah, I work with a few businesses that are in that kind of early growth stage. I'm really, I love the I love the early bits when it's all a bit messy and rough and ready and no one really knows what they're up to. And it's, you know, you just got to kind of hack it out. Yeah. So I love I love being around founders and I love being around you know, early stuff. So I'm, yeah, I'm supporting a few businesses in a growth growth phase, trying to help them put a few foundations in and perhaps raise a bit of cash if they want to grow some, open some more sites or grow the business, um, which is fun, really fun. Oh, there we go. I've got that. Uh, nice. Because I'm outside. Is that, I don't know, this audio is going to be interesting. Yeah, well, that's that. cool. That's fine. I, don't, I don't mind any of that. That's, uh, that's all okay, part good. of the richness of life. Great, great. So yeah, yeah, a, a bit of that, which is fun, learning loads. Nice just to be in some other rooms, hearing other people talk about their businesses. I'm doing a master's in behavioral science, which is uh, pretty intense. Of it's course. actually like a, it sounds a bit, sounds a bit funky, doesn't it? But I, I'm doing an exec, executive master's, which basically means you can, you do two weeks at a time. So for two weeks, you can't do anything else. But then in between those two weeks, is about three or four months where in theory, you can go back to your job. So, you know, there's lots of, um, lots of people on there who have full-time jobs and we, we come together every two weeks. I've done all the modules now. I've just got my dissertation to write uh, before Christmas or finish, I should say. Uh, and then I'm done. I've done with that. So that's been a, uh, it's been super fun, but you know, getting back into the lecture room again. And 
I forgot how I took notes. Like the first lecture, it's been like 20 years since I was at university. And I was like, kind of all over the place. I was like, do I write notes? Or everyone had their computers out. And I was like, well, maybe I need to get my iPad out. So I started doing that. And I was like, no, this doesn't work for me. And then I basically ended up taking no notes for the first one and just having to go and have a word myself and figure out what I was going to do. And I, anyway, I landed on taking a, it was pen and paper for me. So I made lots of notes, pen and paper, and then take it back. Anyway, that's quite a boring story to kick us off, isn't it? No, but I, I think uh, actually what you uh, you talk about, there's, some, there's something in psychology around the fact that actually by writing something down, it goes in better. So I'm like you. I mean, I'm 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 of a generation where we were note takers, and yeah. I, when I, even uh, this week I've done a couple of panel discussions at the Hotel and Resort Tech Expo, and I'm sat up on the uh, the stage with my pad and paper, making notes as we go, with surrounded by all of these tech savvy. Not that I'm not tech savvy, but all of these people who are just doing everything on a remarkable or something like that, which actually is quite a cool piece of tech. Yeah, no, it is. And uh, I have to say, I looked over at envious eyes over a few shoulders of people who were like writing directly into Notion and it was all looking very nice and their notes were perfectly annotated and hyperlinked to websites and papers. And I was like, mm, maybe I'm missing a trick. But yeah, that's how my brain works. I write stuff down and then figure it out after that. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's been fun. So I'm doing that. But I've invested in a few things. I'm dabbling with the world of investment. I'm certainly not an expert, but I'm interested in some stuff. And Back to a few businesses again, startup y type stuff, and so I sort of like to sit in some of their sessions and I'd say boards and inverted commons because they're not really board meetings yet. But you know, some of that's in tech, which is really you know, very not my not my skill set or my background. You know, I'm a people and an ops guy, so uh, it's been really fun listening to how tech businesses work and the metrics they look at, which is cool. And then, yeah, looking to start a few projects. Obviously, I launched something called Pineapple with um, with Abby, Charlotte, and Will last week. Yeah. We'll um, absolutely get into that uh, for sure. So yeah, lot, lots going on, but it's super fun. Every day is literally different. So yeah, I'm, I'm having fun. It's good. Good stuff. Well, I mean, that's there's a, a, a real life success story straight away. Then that's you know that's the objective, isn't it? Surely to just have fun. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But well, anyway, there's obviously a story here behind how you've arrived at this juncture. So you know, I think the best thing to do is take us all the way back. How did you? get into hospitality was honest your first literally your first foray into hospitality or, did, or was there a little backstory before then no i mean i've worked you know I, you know as a kid part-time job i wasn't you know some of my mates went off into offices i, I was always working in a pub or a restaurant from the age of sort of 16 you know worked at the uni bar and that kind of stuff so i've always been in and around restaurants i was down in brighton in after uni me and my partner moved down there because uh, i wanted to be a journalist actually that was the plan Right. I had a philosophy. I had a philosophy degree, which obviously channels you into a very specific career. So uh, I uh, went down to Brighton with my philosophy degree and decided I wanted to be a journalist. Um, you can do like an NCTJ; it's called like it's like the journalism qualification. Like I learned shorthand. I mean, how outdated does that sound? I don't even know if they still teach that, but I got like I can do shorthand. Right. <laughs> I was trying to be a journalist down in Brighton and start working in a restaurant there to sort of pay the bills. Cracking little restaurant called Ridland Fins. I'm actually. In one of life's nice little circles, I'm back with them now, helping them, you know, put some foundations in place for maybe a growth journey, which is really fun. But yeah, I was just a part-time waiter, and I met Tom, my co-founder at Honest. He was also a part-time waiter. He was at uni in Brighton at the time, and we just got chatting. It was one of those things of like, you know, maybe we should do something for ourselves. I can't remember the 
exact initial conversations, but I remember feeling like we could do something and that I wasn't really going to be a journalist. I was struggling a bit with that. I wasn't sure it was right for me. And yeah, I managed to convince him to go for a beer with me in a pub. And after about five or six drinks, we decided to sort of not quit our jobs, but we'd decided to put some cash in, 3K each, buy a grill and a fryer and a marquee, and we're going to do street foods. We're going we're gonna to revolutionize the world of festival burgers, which was very, <laughs> yeah, it was very nice. Well, you know, you go to a festival and there's, you know, let's, let's be honest, not great quality burgers often, you know, piled high on the grill for two hours and very expensive. We thought we can do this. We'll go there with really good quality. And then you you quickly realize that actually you don't need to do good quality burgers at a festival. No one cares. So, uh, and they're actually really expensive and hard to get into. Um, so we were very naive with our £6,000 war chest, which we only had about 2K left of after all the equipment. You know, we didn't have much money to do anything other than a few private parties and events and things. So that's how yeah, one yeah. started, 2010. But that's, that, that's kind of cool, though, because it's it's sort of that... I mean, we've talked about this on this podcast many, many times, actually, the, the wonderful trait that is naivety when you're starting out on something, right? Because probably all those around you are, are telling you you're mad, Maybe even part of your own psyche is saying that you're mad, but the uh, if you sit and stop and think about it for too long, you just don't do it. I totally agree. I mean, I get asked this question a lot, actually, and I've been asked to speak at some things around. You know, I can't. I don't like the word entrepreneur. I don't. I, I can't bring myself to use call myself an entrepreneur, and I, I'm, I'm always a bit suspect about people who do. But um, I, yeah, I've been asked that question a few times. Like, and I think there's always this like feeling from people that there's this perfect time that they don't quite know enough yet and when I know this then I'll know enough to start and when the product's that then I'll then I'll be good enough to start and actually certainly my experience and some others I'm aware of is very much more like you believe in something and you're going to work hard then just get started and actually you don't know what this thing is yet and it will move and shape and then look then you've got to make some good decisions like you've got a willing to work hard you need a little bit of luck and then you've got to make some good decisions and the businesses that get forward quicker than others or succeed are the ones that generally make more good decisions than bad ones right but yeah yeah this idea that there's this perfect time i definitely don't subscribe to i think often you just got to get started and then before you know it you're three months in and you've had a few conversations and you've you're like well i'm actually running a business this is happening what do we do tomorrow you know and then yeah, yeah. that's it really you're off what so do we do I, with I, this cash I don't, what, what happens next well i mean I, yeah there's not a lot of cash at the beginning trust me uh yeah. No, not after you paid all the way. I mean, we made no money in that. We did those. We did like the street circuit in Brighton, private parties and stuff. We probably did about 10 or 12 events. I mean, I was working full time in this restaurant by this point. You know, I was managing that restaurant. I knew I needed a bit more experience with the sort of analytics of a restaurant and, and sort of behind the scenes. But, you know, we didn't do many events, but the ones we did, we didn't make any money. You know what I mean? Like we, we were busy, which is even more criminal, right? We had, we had queues. Yeah, yeah. People loved the food. It gave us all the confidence we needed that, you know, we were onto something in terms of the product and, you know, and as a team, you know, me and Tom really bonded and sort of saw the right qualities in that, each other, I think. But yeah, we didn't make any money. So <laughs> yeah, the cash comes later, I, I would say. Maybe maybe not for everyone. That's what I just... Well, there, I mean, there's uh, trait number two you need, right? A bit of bloody mindedness, really, <laughs> that, you know, because... There's also probably something in uh, this is maybe I don't even know if you can if you learn this stuff or you're born with it or whatever. But at some point, there has to be a time where you think if this is not working, then what's the point in carrying on? But at the same juncture, sometimes if you do carry on, it's like you're so close, so much closer than you think you are to getting to the gold on the other side. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely there's I can definitely think of a few of those moments where. 
you know, is this it? I mean, I remember one event we did in Lewis Fireworks night, which we've talked about on a few, you know, in various places where, you know, we literally got the job on Gumtree about two days before the event, which is, you know, there's there's your first warning sign right there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't generally get good street food pitches on Gumtree and, and certainly not two days before one of the biggest fireworks events in the whole country. So, you know, loads of people to send on Lewis. I don't know if anyone's ever been and your any of your listeners, but if they have, they'll like they'll know what I mean. It's like full on like pagan like barrels of fire being pushed down the road and thousands of people are there, right? Right. Um so we thought we landed on the money. I remember us putting the putting the postcode into the sat nav for the for the van we hired to carry our kit there. And we sort of drove into Lewis and we still we were still like a mile away. We drove out of Lewis and up a hill into a field. And basically our pitch was some farmer who decided to invite 30 of his mates around and just wanted someone to do burgers in his field at the top of the top of the South Downs. And typically, typical English weather in October, November, which one is it? November. He, yeah, it was like raining and blowing a gale and we're trying to put up a tent and I'm trying to chop cheese with one hand and hold a tent down with another. And there's like a massive bonfire like 20 yards away. And, you know, if this if this tent goes, then that's the end of our business because that was two grand and we haven't got two grand. and uh, we, I mean, we did some really silly stuff to make some money out of that, really. You know, we couldn't get the pilot lights working on the grills and the fryers. They were on and off, on and off, on and off. And then, to his credit, actually, this farmer actually had quite a few people came. And there was a bit of money to be made. And I never forget, me, me and Tom made a decision that the only way we were going to get the fryer to work was to pick it up and put it in the back of the van. And he'd be in the back of the van cooking the food. And I'd be out the front trying to serve people burgers, which is right. hilar- hilariously unsafe. So we picked this fryer up full of oil and I remember looking at customers waiting for their chips and they were looking at us like what are these idiots doing like this is crazy and Tom's got about a foot on me so when we lifted this thing up it was sort of slanted towards me and the oil started like in waves going from one end to the other of the tank Um, it was like yeah it was like roulette like one of us was getting splashed with oil it was going over the edge at some point and it happened and I knew like the last wave sort of nearly hit Tom and then it came was coming back towards me and I had the end without the sort of the back bit and uh, sure enough, this whole huge wave of oil comes comes over this fryer, goes all over my face, and I think I think it must be so hot that I can't feel the pain. That you know, I'm like I've just got hot oil all over me, like I'm in serious trouble here. Yeah. So I'm yeah. sort of, you know, if you've ever seen that scene in Talladega Nights with uh, Will Ferrell, where he's running around, he thinks he's on fire. I think it was something like that. You know, I'm like reaching for blue roll and like dabbing my face. Customers are seeing all of this, by the way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, the the oil's like lukewarm because the, the fryer's barely been on because of the wind. So, it, you know, it's all fine, uh, as you can tell from my beautiful yeah. visage. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, we, yeah, we got the fryer in the back of the van. We actually did manage to get it on, and we did actually manage to make some money uh, or sell some food. And I remember we drove back from that, that event, actually, and I don't know, I maybe had £800 worth of cash in my pocket. And I remember we were like, well, that's good, because we literally spent all of our money buying the the ingredients we needed for that event and that kind of i mean not to an extremity we didn't have that every time but that kind of signified our first year really like we'd spend all the money we had on on beef and potatoes and ingredients and if we didn't make any that we we were kind of like well that'll be it then (laughs) like none of us had any more money to put in so um right you know it was uh it was yeah we sort of jobbed from one day one 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 event to the next hoping we'd sort of make enough to do the next one kind of thing yeah god almighty jeez so literally, you are—I mean, you're—you're you're on the right old raggedy edge, then, basically. Of I'm I assuming there's no business plan or anything really at this point in time. It's literally kind of yeah. one day to the next. Let's see how see if we make it to the next one. 
Yeah, no, our business plan uh, was make the food as best we could and then worry about whether we're making any money later, which <laughs> is not really a business plan at all. But um, I certainly stand by the idea that, you know, make it make it taste great first and then worry about everything else after that. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose yeah. That, that plays into the old, uh, there's a, a probably a proverb or a cliche or something like that, is that just get something launched first and then worry about perfection later. Like, and that comes back to what you were talking about earlier on around Actually, if you just sit there and think about, right, well, we need to get that, 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 that in play before we consider pulling the trigger, then, of course, you're just waiting for those perfect set of circumstances that never exist. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I think what we learned out that year, albeit we didn't make much money and we did some silly things, but we learned a lot about each other, you know, and we realized that, you know, we, we could make a decent burger and chips and people liked the food when we handed it to them. There's something. It is like a bit of a drug, I think. When when you've when you when you slave for two days, hand cutting chips and part boiling them and triple cooking them, and then go to an event and sell them and hand them to someone sit in front of you and watch them take the first bite in front of you, and it's your thing and it's your that money's going into your pocket. Like it, it's very hard to see you sell yourself ever doing anything else again. Like it's yeah, quite yeah. a it's quite an addictive thing to see someone hand you real money for something that you've created. So, yeah, I think we, we realized that this is definitely something we want to try and do, but we certainly didn't have all the answers at that point. Luckily, our, our third co-founder joined us, if you want to move on the timeline a little bit, um, uh, Mr. Dorian Waite, who um, luckily did have lots of restaurant experience and was further down his career in hospitality and worked in some big businesses like Strada and Bills and stuff and heard about what we were up to and called us up to London and said, let's have a chat and joined us and certainly gave us more of a backbone i would say a financial and commercial backbone to uh to open restaurants and gave us a lot of belief that we could you know he, he knew the right people and he'd been there and done it in a way with other you know albeit not for himself but with other businesses so right. the combination of the three of us was uh, was really powerful i think so was that a, a kind of almost a reverse interview then really i mean he he approached you as it were as, as opposed to you guys yeah. saying, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, this is where the luck comes in because, you know, Dorian had a huge impact on the business and, and still does. It's why a friend of Tom's was, um, knew his, Dorian knew his brother and a friend of Tom's was living with Dorian for about three months while I think he was doing an internship in London. And I just said, was telling Dorian over, over dinner what his mate down in Brighton was up to. And Dorian liked the name, thought burgers were going to be cool in London and big. And he was right. He absolutely was, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just said, look, I'm, I'm interested to do something for myself. You know, he'd, he'd had a lot of success for other people. And I think he was like, right, it's time to try and do something for myself. And I think he saw us as an opportunity to do that. And yeah, invited us to his house. I remember we, we drove up in my uh, my girlfriend Helen's her, her Cinquecento, which is perfect for carrying around grills and fries because it's literally shaped like a box. Um, <laughs> it's like van, a TARDIS. Basically. Yeah, it was great. Uh, we cooked we cooked burgers and chips from him in his garden. I remember it vividly, right near Clapham South. And uh, yeah, just got on and we started putting a bit of a business plan together then and off we went, really. But I have to say, I mean, the, the business, I mean, Dorian knows high street restaurants, right? And he knows the sort of money needed and he knew potentially some people that we could get the money from if we needed it. We just needed the plan. But then Tom moved to Brixton and discovered Brixton Market. And that really, I would say, was the making of our business. I think, you know, doing Brixton Market first, which certainly wasn't the plan, uh, certainly not in Dorian's mind, I would say. But basically, essentially doing a street food store, but, you know, it was basically the same size as our marquee, but just had like fixed walls and running water. Uh, and But getting to Brixton Market, I think, you know, Tom, I remember Tom calling me down there and just going, you got, he, he lived around the corner. He's like, you got to see this place. 
you know, there's this dude called Frank Amanka, you know, the original Frank Amanka down there doing 200 pizzas on a Tuesday night. And I was like, what? Brixton? I still lived in Brighton at the time. Uh, and I remember coming up and walking around and just being blown away by this market and how cool it was. Like, you know, like not just just good, like a good mix of like old school traders and a few new restaurants coming in. And yeah, there were empty units. They were trying to regenerate it. Very favorable terms, cheap rent. And we thought, why not? Like, we'll write the business plan and go for a high street store. But while we're doing that, we might as well have a crack here and make some mistakes. You know, we literally thought like no one's heard of this. You know, we're two lads from Brighton with a brand no one's ever heard of. It bricks the market, which, all right, you know, it's kind of cool and Frank Amanka's doing well, but he's in the other side of the market. Like, no one's going to come. Like, literally no one's going to come. Like, we'll just get in there. We'll give us something to do. You know, if we do like 200 burgers a week, we'll be happy. And I think like, well, within like, I'd say every, I'll probably give answers different every time, but within a couple of months, you know, I had queues out the door. It was nice. Right. And then that was it, really. I mean... We got this like underground following of Brixton was cool, burgers were cool. So people came down, and I tell you, you had to wait two hours for a burger, and that just made you want it even more because that's how this city works, isn't it? Like, yeah. there's nothing better Formal than telling someone time. they can't, yeah, no, sorry, you can't come in, it's two hours for a burger. Right, okay, well, I'll come back on Tuesday then. It's like, great. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or actually, they'd say to me, yeah, no problem, no worries, I'll go for a and come, yeah, I'll be like, cool, well, give me your name and number, and I'll, I'll call you back in two hours then, you know, and just blew my mind that people were willing to wait two hours for a burger but they were and it just showed the, the power of kind of referral you know like you know I, i'm not trying to be modest i think i think we had a good product and we were doing something as part of that new wave of burgers for sure but you know is it worth a two-hour wait I don't, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if anything's worth a two-hour wait so you know i think there's something about capturing a bit of a zeitgeist isn't there and and you know people feeling like this is the cool place to be and this is the cool brand and maybe one of the best burgers in london and they're willing to willing to wait for it so yeah, yeah. it just kicked it just kicked off and brixton went from being a bit of a why not to this is the plan like brixton is number one and this is a proper restaurant and me and tom were basically like for the next year just did every hour under the sun in that restaurant he's in the kitchen i'm on the floor right uh, and doran was out there helping us try and try and grow the business commercially and making some connections and teeing up the next few you know so yeah. So how, how does that work then in terms of, because now you've kind of, you've kind of got proof of concept, I suppose you're, you're demonstrating that by the popularity of your burgers. Yeah. How do you then go from having this, I, I suppose, quite small unit, which can't really, I suppose, cope with the demand to then putting the, I suppose, the funds together to get your, your next place off and running? Um, yes. I mean, little steps. We did, um, we did a little, I think what's known as a friends and family round, right? So we went out to a few people that we knew that, you know, we all reached into our pockets and tried to beg, steal and borrow some cash ourselves from grandparents and this, that and the other and credit cards and things. So we, we all sort of raised a bit more cash to put in. And then yeah, Dorian knew someone that had, you know, a very successful um, guy in tech um, and had his own sort of private equity fund as well and didn't really care or know anything about restaurants, but knew Dorian's wife uh, at the time. And he was sort of, it was, I don't want to, I won't name him or the amount, but for me, him, it was pocket change to us. It was life changing, you know, and he, right, yeah. you know, we gave him some equity of the business. And I often say that to people. I think sometimes you can get a bit het up on equity. Uh, if that money's going to transform the business and get you going and, and, and that person's going to add value, then, you know, sometimes I think people are a bit too protective of equity. And I'm not saying you should be blasé about equity either, but we gave up a, a decent chunk actually. And, you know, this, yeah, well, I won't name this guy, a chap called Alan Watkins, and he, um, 
he sort of helped. He sort of held us to account. We kind of had ball meetings again in inverted commons, you know, like, but he was saying stuff to us like, he didn't ever tell us how to run restaurants because he didn't know how to run restaurants. So it was perfect. But he did know what banks would be asking for if we ever needed bank money or, or what an investor might ask for. So he was like, that number there, guys, you need to track that and keep, keep tracking that because that's really important or that will be important. So again, just added another skill set and a layer of expertise that we didn't have. But that wasn't a huge amount of money in the grand scheme of things. But for us, it got us into our second site, Soho, 2012. And then that one was busy. You know, and that was it really. I mean, that was a that was a 30k a week uh, straight away. I mean, Brixton's a small unit and, you know, it was pound for pound, a very profitable restaurant that Soho sort of landed us, I would say, in central London. And then I remember that at that point, it was when I was telling friends and family, I was like, I can't see a reason why we wouldn't do a few of these now. Like we did the same thing. Like we didn't change our prices in Soho to Brixton. We didn't change the menu. We didn't spend loads on the fit out. Like... We just kind of did the same thing again and it worked. And I was like, I think we could have a few of these. Like, I didn't necessarily think we'd get to like the 40s or whatever it ends up being. But like, mm. I definitely remember thinking, no, this this could be something and saying to my mates, like, yeah, I'm going to open some more restaurants, man. <laughs> like, let's do it. Um, That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. God. I mean, and, you know, I remember that time. I remember, I don't think it was the Soho site, but at the um, I remember like chomping at the bit to get to an honest burger. Because like you were, it just felt like you were everywhere. Like everybody was talking about you fondly. Everyone was saying this is the best burger in London, and all of a sudden you just you've you've. Well, it's probably not all of a sudden. There's been a lot of graft here, but uh, you've become everybody's favourite burger joint. I think probably at the time, I mean, look, there, there was a few. It was a really cool little competitive thing. You know, you got you had the Byrons and the GBKs who were already ahead of us and it sort of blazed the trail a little bit. And then it was us and, you know, Scott and Yanni with the meat wagon in, in the pub in Peckham and then Meat Liquor that were sort of doing their thing and different style to us, but we were like insanely popular. Lucky Chip were doing some good stuff. Patty and Bun not long behind us. And there was a bit of a new wave of burgers going on. So there was, I think the burger scene was like moving on and people were talking about burgers. And yeah, that, we, were, we were definitely a big part of that, I think, which is great. And yeah, just that underground following, you know, it's so much better. You know, I'm not a marketing person, but... I think I'm sure marketeers would tell us that it's much better when your customers say it for you, right? Like, yeah, like you know, if you have to say you're good, you're probably not good enough, right? So, yeah, right. So when your customers are saying it for you, then it's um, yeah, it's gold dust, isn't it? And that that's certainly how it felt in those first few years. That you know, it helps as well because you know when someone's walking in the door and they've already told themselves this might be the best burger they've ever had, you know, you, you're already onto a winner. You know, you've already, you know, you've already start, you've done twenty percent without even trying before yeah. they even sat down you know yeah um, but I, th- I think equally people were it felt like people just wanted you to succeed so you've also kind of got them in that psychological state of mind as well like i am willing this to be the best burger i've ever had nice yeah well that, i hope I, yeah i hope so i mean the only experience i got that is like my family and obviously they were very happy for me they were very willing for me to see it but yeah that, we definitely i mean i'm still really good friends with some super loyal customers that used to come down in the Brixton days and you know they don't have a loyalty card. They have my phone number, you know, and I'll, I'll give me half hour's notice and they never pay, you know, yeah. although they're so loyal. And this is, I, I could talk to you for hours about what I think loyalty is, by the way. I don't think it's a stamp card come 10 times to get free beer. I think that's something else, powerful, but something else. I think loyalty is, you know, a regular in Brixton, my favorite, the, the, the um, Simon Fennell and his wife, Hannah, and their daughter, Ella. And I first met them when Ella was, you know, when Hannah was pregnant. And she was really disappointed that she couldn't have a medium rare burger. And I remember yeah. it vividly. And I said to them, look, 
as soon as uh, as soon as you've had your baby, come back, and the next medium rare burger's on me, you know. And so began a relationship where I got to know them, and I would consider them friends now. And you know, they go to Honest, and they take their mates all the time, and they give me proper feedback. If it's bad, they tell me it's bad, but they do it on WhatsApp, not on TripAdvisor. And if it's good, they tell me why it's good, and it's just that's that's loyalty, you know. And yeah. the thing I love about them is like I'll see them on Facebook posting or Twitter or whatever. Oh, just been to Honest and had this special, and I'll message him with like, man, why didn't you tell me? Like, you know, you don't have to pay. And he's like, oh no, I don't want to take the piss. Like, you know, I'll pay for the ne- I won't pay for the next one. And I'm like, that's loyalty. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, that's loyalty. And we definitely had that feeling. I think I'm, I, you know, I've got an, I could name a few people that I feel like that about, or who I think feel like that about the business. So we certainly did anyway, which is cool. So yeah, I, you know, I think. People were happy for us and liked what we were doing, and it was fun, man. It was fun. Like we were figuring it out as we were going along and making some mistakes, you know, and moving fast and breaking stuff. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a well, tech I... saying, isn't it? Five star hospitality means having the right people in the right place at the right time, and that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud is the online platform that makes planning rotors, recording attendance, and managing annual leave easy. Its simple drag-and-drop interface lets you create and share rotors with your team in minutes. While our built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. RotorCloud also makes life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotors, request time off, and pick up extra shifts, all through the RotorCloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. You've brought up mistakes. Any whoppers? Any anything that you look back on now and you think, gee, well, what, were we, what were we thinking, doing? I don't, I don't want to advertise my own podcast and your podcast, but we did a little honest podcast and we had to, we did the first episode was called Honest Fuck Ups. And, and it was so, we, we ran out of time. We had to do episode two, part two. So, um, right. yeah, we, we've got a few. Uh, I mean, I remember, uh, Tom won't mind me telling you, he, he uh, for Site 5, he did went to a board meeting and got pressure from a few people that we needed more people on our database. We need more email addresses or whatever, right? So he decided to offer everyone for our new opening in markets, Marketplace, not just one off the circus, free burger if they signed up to our mailing list in the next 24 hours. And like... He didn't put any rules on like, you know, you could forward that offer onto anyone you wanted. And we basically got about 20,000 people signed up, which, again, if a marketer was on this call, they'd be like, amazing, what a campaign. But, you know, if you ask our team that had to open that restaurant to that many free burgers and the chaos say, yeah. that ensued, yeah. the and the fact that, you know, we hadn't thought about how they're going to redeem it. So people were just like redeeming it and then coming back. And it was just chaos. Right. We just hadn't thought it through. Yeah. And I'm saying it's constantly like we're all implicated here. Um, so that that was not a fun experience for our team, and we would chalk, we would we've chalked that down as an operational mistake, perhaps not a brand marketing mistake, but certainly a, an error. But I'm trying to think now. There's so many, and now I'm gone. I'm like generally, I've gone entirely blank on the other stupid stuff. I mean, I told you the fryer one. That's that's the whopper. You know, point. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've, uh, you've eradicated them from your brain to to Maybe. move forward with your life. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but I kind of love them as well. You know, you wouldn't change a thing. Oh, I remember that. I tell you, one not mistake, but one crazy. I got duped into doing an advert for Kia, thinking like the Sunday Times message said, "Hey, do you want to? We want to write about honest." And I was like, "This was early." I was like, "Amazing!" The Sunday Times are going to get a feature piece in the Sunday Times, and they were like, "You drive around in a Kia with someone, and we'll talk about honest. And it'll all be about." And, and then basically, it was an, I was inadvertently in a Kia ad, and there was like you know just some really cringy photos of me like 
eating a burger and pretending to work for my laptop in the front seat of a Kia because it's really spacious and yeah, you know, because you've been perfect doing that. for the perfect for the modern man who works hard and plays hard and has a car that needs to get around the city. You know, that was that was the tone of the piece rather than his honest right. purpose. So I'm I'm perennially taking the mick out for that. Those photos resurface like I've had general managers in our business that have joined and found that photo and take great delight in showing it to me when I come in the restaurant. Um, <laughs> so I haven't I haven't managed to live that one down yet. Oh, that's brilliant. No, I'd, I'd, but these are the, these are the, I mean, this is the life journey, right? Beyond the business and all of that kind of stuff. The, the, the learnings in moments like this are actually what gives you the, gives you the color, right? Gives you the, the, the stuff, that, the stories that you can tell your kids, you can tell people on a podcast or, or whatever. I think so. I think so. I think, and I, you know, I'm, I've got strong opinions on culture and I think I've learned lots about culture and I've got it wrong in the past and certainly the behavioral science stuff has helped recently, but. I think culture is ultimately just the stories you tell, you know, that's, you can't tell someone quality, you know, that's a value of honest quality. You can't tell them that you have to show them that, you know, like we live by that because we make our own chips and we, we chop our meat. We don't mince it because it's better. And, you know, we do that all ourselves. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I think the storytelling is where a business can really, um, can really resonate with its team. You know, that we, 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 we meet new staff and we tell them the stories I'm telling you and they, they love it because I think it makes them feel like they're, you know, they're not working for a perfect business or perfect people. And they know a bit more about where it came from. And it wasn't an idea conceived in a boardroom with loads of money. It was, you know, a real living, breathing thing. And, and actually, guess what? We're still trying to make, we're still figuring it out and still making mistakes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah that, but that's as we were talking about before we switched the microphone on, that's the thing that gives people hope. It gives, uh, you know, it, uh, I'm a, a massive sports fan and I always uh, I just watched the Ryder Cup uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, you see a, a professional golfer hit an absolute hum, you know, a, a, a really crap shot. And you think to yourself, I can do that. I, I know, can yeah. do that. So it's not all perfect every single shot that you take. And it's the same in business and same in, in life. And, and actually, you know, these are the things that I think that just everybody, anybody listening who's got any eyes on starting a business you know it is kind of just accept that it's going to be a wild ride at times probably more wild than you might want it to be in moments but uh, but nevertheless if you if you cling on to that wild ride you're you're going to have uh, I think so. a blast it's at the, the other side it's the, and as you said it's the fun bit right and I, I don't think me or tom he certainly would say the same i'm sure like you look back and some of the you know that that first year in brixton was tough i mean you know, ignored my family and friends for a whole year, you know, physically broken. I mean, I lost feeling in both my arms for a little while. And, you know, wow. don't ever Google that, by the way, because it's don't ever Google your symptoms because it's just, no, you know, no. the Google, it wasn't the pretty. It Google just, is not kind. Yeah. I just basically had a trap there in my neck from standing over a grill or whatever for too long. And Tom got shingles and was just like destroyed. And Dorian had like the longest case of man for you've ever seen. Like we were just broken physically. Yeah. Um, I remember actually, this is a funny story. I remember Time Out came down to do a feature piece about the top 10 burgers in London and we were, they were featuring us as one of them and it was a double page spread. And I remember the photo. I mean, I can, I can send you this if you want to, <laughs> if you want to see it. They came down, it was a Sunday and I'd just done like a million hours in a row and I was so over it. And they were like, can you just stand with the plate sort of like this? And can you look, smile, look that way, look down on the camera, look away from the camera. And I was just like, really? Whatever. And like, anyway, I just looked like a ghost. I'm like, pale and i've got like an infected eye oh God. yeah i've got like an eye i've got like this like sty lump on my eye 
and I just looked like shit, basically. And yeah. um, they put that photo in the middle of this whole blooming spread. So there's like the top 10 bugs, I don't know, Byron, Honest, Meat Licker, Patty Ryan, Lucky Chip. Uh, but the photo they chose to leave was me with my blooming big eye infection. And I was like, it, it definitely didn't scream, hey, come and eat here. It felt like yeah. maybe you should yeah. not come and eat here. <laughs> like, it yeah. was terrible. I remember my, my mum saw him and was like, are you okay? And I was like, well, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty knackered, mum. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. But you know, I think that's the thing that you are, you do have to work hard. I mean, I feel like that's a given. I don't think anyone that would surprise anyone, right? But, no, I did, and I, I don't think that absolutely that's not something that is just specific to a hospitality business. Like, I mean, that's just if you want to, if you want to, you know, give yourself some kind of success at some point in your life, then you're gonna have to knuckle down and make it happen. Yeah, I remember. I mean, again, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I, more recently, I remember someone asking me to go and chat with a founder that was struggling, a business that was struggling. Like, Maybe you can, you know, from one founder to another, can you just see, just go and have a chat? And one of the first things when I sat down, one of the first things this person said to me is that they hadn't had a holiday for a year, and I just like sort of spat my G and T out and you know cobbled through an hour and went back and told my friend, I was like, "You're done. <laughs> like, I'm not sure that business is going to work because, you know, I, I'm not saying you know we all want to take holidays, but." you got to do what's got to be done. And, you know, the, the first thing for that person there in particular was, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really tired and I haven't taken a holiday for a whole year. And I was like, yeah, welcome to being a founder of a restaurant business. You know, yeah, yeah. that's what it takes. So, yeah, you know, it's not, not everyone's willing or able, but yeah, just got to knuckle down and get start, get cracking. And just my advice is take lots of photos. I say that to anyone who's starting a restaurant business now. Just, we, we took loads of photos and they're just, like, you know, like the, the photo of me with the star in my eye and, you know, yeah, the photo yeah. of Tom on the roof of Brixton Market punching a hole in the ceiling to put the extraction in. You know, like they live and breathe in our business now and their cultural statements and you regret it when you don't have them. That's the thing. Yeah. That's, that, all of that's going to make a really good book at one point. I, I'm thinking of uh, the Soho House book that's out there, big coffee table number. And oh, it's, yeah. And it's literally about, about the journey. It's not about Soho House necessarily and I just feel like every business should do it because well I mean I'm a bit of a hospitality geek anyway I, I just read all of them until the, the cows come home but for, even for anybody who's like got a, a, a tiny bit of interest it's the it's the stories it's the all the shit that went wrong it's it's just it's such a a great read and this is not to be to play into this this kind of you know, you need drama to get colour. You absolutely don't, but equally, it does give you some cracking stories. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I love it. I, I, yeah, you can make an instant connection, can't you, with the business when you when you hear about you see the founders or the people that run the business and the teams as human beings, right? I mean, that's yeah. a, a key tenant of hospitality. Is why hospitality is so great when it when it is great. You know, like we're we're talking with human beings here, and yeah, I think if you can connect with the story as an employee, I mean, as a customer, I think it adds value. But particularly, I think employees want to want to feel like there's a real human being somewhere around that is, you know, running the business or part of the business. And yeah, the stories and the the battle scars uh, are all part of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we probably need to move your uh, timeline on a little bit here because we, um, the well, time yeah. is ticking. <laughs> so I think we were, we were about five restaurants, I think, or maybe even less than that, but certainly uh, you, you were beginning to, I suppose, I don't. I really don't want to use the term cookie cutter, but you're you've got a kind of formula that's working. Let's yeah. let's start doing this again and again and again. That's right. Yeah. I mean, look, the rest of the story is pretty boring, isn't it? I mean, we just open, <laughs> you know, shoot for another ten years, and we open a load of restaurants. But um, yeah, we yeah we we figured out what worked, and we were really adamant that 
you know, we'd always just try and do one thing and do it well. You know, we did we wanted we wanted to avoid menu creep, which is a bit of a can be a bit of a scourge of some restaurant businesses as they scale. They you start trying to please everyone and I think what you end up doing is trying to please no one. And we always felt like actually we just want to be known to be the best burger in London. We're not really interested in being having the best coffee or the best dessert necessarily. Like we just want to be known for having the best burger and chips in yeah. London. So we stuck to our guns on that and you know, we tried to employ human beings and let them express themselves and have fun and you know, be themselves on shift. Certainly my philosophy around hospitality is if you want a member of staff to sort of do hospitality, not service, then you have to let them kind of be themselves a little bit and leave a little bit of themselves on the table and encourage that and allow it and promote it. So we just tried to do that and we took some investment. We got backing from Active Partners in 2015. They came in with a big stake, been with us ever since and just believed in the brand, really. They, you know, they kind of know what makes us tick and and just sort of added some more layers of expertise around the business and obviously some cash to grow. And yeah, I mean, this sounds really, I was about to say this, it sounds really flippant to say like, I don't really remember the bit between like 20 and 30 restaurants. It kind of just happened and that, you know, you just kind of, suddenly you turn around and you've done a load of them and it's, uh, you know, the systems have to change and stuff that was easy at the start is now really, really hard and stuff that used to be really hard at the start has now become really easy because you've got a budget for it and you've got resources and you've got teams, you know, you know, you've got, a, you've got a, a gap of vacancy in this restaurant. Well, it's all right. You've got another 38 potential restaurants that might be able to help you fill it. Whereas when you've got one, these are real challenges for a, for a founder or a, or a team. You know, losing a key member of the staff is, is, a, is a big problem. So yeah. it, it, it definitely shifts. You know, the complexity of going from having a couple of employees to like 900 is, you know, you have to, you have to figure that out. And I've definitely uh, learned some stuff about that, you know, and feeling how you know, you can get behind very quickly this but that way, you know, mm. um, in terms of systems and structure around training and recruitment and all these kind of things that you, you know, I was, I was the ops director at this point and certainly got was, was behind. I remember feeling behind between like sort of sites or 17 and 25 ish, just being like, Oh God, like I need all this stuff. And to put it in, it's going to take like six to nine months. <laughs> and it's like, I need it now. Yeah. And we're yeah. still opening restaurants. So it was like, yeah, it was like, it was some, it was some interesting stuff there, but the rest of it's a bit of a blur, to be honest. It's maybe also a reflection that you you kind of had found your groove with it, and you kind of knew what you were, more or less, knew what you were doing now. So you know, there's always going to be the minute you keep adding and adding, there's always going to be new things, right? New problems that will come up. You could do it until the end of time, and you'd still find have a day that you are just faced with something that you've not been faced with before. Totally. But nevertheless, you 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 probably in this at that moment, and I'm just guessing, but you 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 probably had found your groove, as I say. You know, you just you're kind of it's your thing, it's your business, it's your baby, it's all of these things, and yeah. it's just it's your life. Yeah, I think that I think look, and I have to you know you, I have to give so much credit. Obviously, we we got a, a lot of really smart people around the business at that point to help us grow. You know, we brought in senior people in the in the key departments that had way more experience than us, were better at their jobs than us. Yeah, so I think you know we we got into the groove of being good founders who had the passion and knew what we you know classic founder kind of like we throw our toys out the pram if people weren't playing by the rules or getting the culture wrong or you know messing with the values. But you know, alongside that, we had some really great people along the way that have brought a huge amount of experience and expertise to the business. So you know, there's no chance the three of us would have had the skills to get to 45, certainly in that time frame. I don't think, um, yeah. I don't want to speak for the other two, but I certainly say that about myself, you know? So yeah, we had some very smart people along the way that have helped us get there, but you do, you get into a groove. Everyone knows what they can do. And 
you know, you stay trying. We've all just tried to stay true to the things we believe in, you know, like we've never compromised on knowingly anyway, the quality of our food. And we've always tried to be a nice place to work. Not always managed to pull that off, but we've always tried to treat people right. Yeah. And, and, and do right by people. And I think if you stick to that, then you can't go too far wrong. I don't think we have yet. So. Yeah, well, I mean, proof is in the fact that you're still you're still here, still moving in the right direction. Still going, um, yeah. Burgers is a tough place to be at the moment, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, um, well, the restaurants in general is a bit of a tough place to be. But anyway, this is a good news podcast. You told me you're right. We're not going to get it. Yes. Well, I mean, I, you've got good news. I mean, you're you know you're uh, you've just done a, a. I know that you've you kind of stepped away a little bit now, but you still care. You still have involvement to a certain extent, and you've you know you've the, the business has just done a, another successful round of funding right so people there's still yeah. appetite for you know f- for business in hospitality so uh, and that's from people who who apparently know all about economic stuff so you know along with that continue yeah yeah no i mean the crowd base has been great i mean it's you know so i'd say probably raised a few eyebrows of business of our size but actually i wish we'd done it years ago i think it's i've watched other people with envy do it and thought you know can really create connection between you and your customers and is a really nice way of doing it and look it's and and the, and yeah to be really truthful as well you know like it's you know there's not a lot of money out there for restaurant businesses right now you know there's a lot of cold feet and you know our yeah. Our, yeah. Our, our current guys have backed us you know a lot you know and i'll leave i'll leave it that you know they backed us and so you know there was it was a really it seemed like a really viable option for lots of reasons for us and it's gone you know yeah we've we've, we've hit the target so Feels like it's gone well, and I think people are excited about this new concept. You know, having a bit more, of a, you know, the American Smash Burger in a more of a faster, quicker environment. So we'll, you know, we'll have a crack at Five Guys. They probably don't even know we exist, but we'll, uh, we'll inflate our egos and pretend that we're on their radar and that we're coming for them. But uh, let's see, let's see if yeah. we can do it. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I suppose you've you've absolutely earned the right to, I suppose, as as you said, step away, figure out where it is that, that, you know, is fun to do. And you've got your head in a lot of different things, some hospitality, some not hospitality. Yeah. And I suppose that, that, that now might be part of your life going forward, as in that's, that's just going to be your thing now is just to, to get involved with the things that kind of excite you. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, look, it's a really privileged prison to be in, you know, you know, it's nice that uh, you know some businesses out there that I can that I can back them, and they're keen to have me around and try and add some value. And yeah, it's um yeah, it's super fun. I mean, I mean, I'm enjoying. As I said, to you, I think at the start, not to repeat myself, but it's, it is nice not to talk about burgers and chips every day. I still love talking about burgers and chips, and I still love eating burgers and chips. But um, yeah, you know, it's nice to sit in a room with some other people talking about techie things and feeling like you're a bit out of your depth, and you know. There's elements where I think I can add some value around what I know, and then there's other bits where I'm like, "Wow, this is great! I'm learning loads," you know, which is which is really fun. Yeah, and then trying to start some projects. You know, I, I, I launched this thing, pineapple, recently. Beautiful segue. Again, that was the next question. So, did you uh, see that? Did you see what I did there? Yeah, yeah, uh, very good. It, I mean, as uh, I'm a big believer that all good things start small. Again, we've touched on it a few times already, haven't we? In the last hour or so, like, you know, you don't have to have all the perfect answers, but um, you know, a really great guy called Will Fraser came to me while well, we kind of reconnected after he did some stuff. He was a Saracens rugby player and the Saracens had a really cool methodology called the Saracens way, which Will was a big part of delivering after his career, you know, a cultural kind of way of being that was super successful for them. And we used Will with uh, Honest once and I was really impressed by him and just kept in touch and we reconnected about a year ago and he's got a culture business now called 101st. It's like a culture consultancy, uh, does a lot in education and and in the corporate world and was keen to, keen to see if he could add some value in hospitality and 
uh, obviously knew me and maybe thought I could help. And I was quite blunt with him at the start because I, I'm, you know, I think sometimes people think that you know I carry around a big black book of names that I can just pass to him, and the, the black book's not as big as people think it is, and right. <laughs> that's not how the founder network really works. Like if we we keep selling stuff to each other, then they wouldn't be my friends for much longer. So. Oh. Big motorbike, so I said to him, look, I can't sell your product for you and I'm not really just going to call up on my cold call with my uh, foundry mates and hospo mates. But um, something I think the industry does need, which could really dovetail with what he does, is a, is a benchmark tracker. You know, we all look at the Peach tracker for sales. The operators listening to this will know what I mean. You know, the Peach report gives us like for like data every two weeks, or is it every week, maybe even, I think. Tells you where the industry sat on like for likes, and you go, okay, well, the industry's at ten percent, and we're at twelve. Great, we're, we're heroes. Or the industry's at ten percent, and we're at five. What are we doing wrong? You know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, very simple. A few businesses contribute their data to that anonymously, and I just thought, you know what, I'm a, you know, I've been obsessed with people and culture for as long as I can remember, and I've never ever felt that anything's actually either I've done in my own little microclimate or even outside of that. We all try and do has ever really changed anything. It's a lot of good talk. There's a lot of good intention. A lot of really great ideas, a lot of really passionate people. And I thought, you know what I think the industry really needs is a benchmark tool. I think a people director needs to be able to just look and start a conversation around, well, if staff retention is 86% and mine's 50, then maybe I should focus on something else. Actually, we're doing really well. But it turns out, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but no one really has ever had that insight. Um, so I had this idea. I thought, well, let's see. We'll send out a little email. Will, Will's company can power it. And I've kind of done my job for Will. And I spoke to a couple of guys and people I know that care about this stuff in the industry and they were they just really loved the idea of it and were like kind of, Man, we really need this. This is a great idea. And a few people have tried to do it in various little pockets, but no one had ever managed to consolidate everyone together. And I thought, okay, well we'll we'll keep going with this and I convinced about eight or nine businesses to give me their data over the last we've been doing that for the last six months and producing a report for them and moved some of the metrics and changed a couple of them make them a bit easier to calculate and more relevant and got feedback from that group. Very quickly became aware that we needed some different thought and some diverse thinking in the room for sure. So reached out to Abby Dunn and Charlotte uh, Kemp at 68 People. Competitor of yours, I would assume, knowing you were a... Uh, uh, I mean, none, they don't have competitors. I don't have competitors. We're all... There's enough uh, out there for everyone, for sure. Uh, lovely. In any case. Lovely, lovely. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I reached out to them. I really admire some of the stuff that Abby has done, and and Charlotte is. Uh, I met I met Charlotte through Abby, and she's just incredible. Like, just really, really great. You know, people and ops background as a director. So just brought up that. You know, I'm not a people director. I'm an ops director, really. So having Charlotte there to send to check our people stuff is really great, and Abby's kind of super inspiring in this space as well. Yeah. So yeah, they they joined in about three or four months ago, and have really kicked us on and. Yeah, we just got to this point. It's like, right, now's the time, you know. We've kind of clear on what we want to do with the report. I had the idea of the name pineapple because it's like a metaphor for bringing people together. La piña is a Spanish sort of metaphor. It sort of says a close-knit group or bring people together. And so we called it pineapple, the pineapple report. And yeah, got to the point where we were like, right, now is the time to talk about this thing. And, you know, let's see. I mean, this thing lives or dies on having really great, rich data. So the more brands that are in it talking about the same metrics in the same way, which is not yeah. easy for everyone. But if we all talk about staff retention in the same way and we can draw a, a benchmark, then do I think it's still the answers? I think it's 10%, right? I think we, but we, if we can do it and unite a bunch of the industry, I hope, if I can be too lofty, around a couple of key metrics and then some really great conversations. Like we want to run some round tables, you know, like we want to put on some events, you know, really rooted in data and research. So I, don't, I'm, I kind of, 
I think LinkedIn is potentially coming a bit fluffy sometimes. And I just want people to be like, let's look at the numbers and let's have a conversation and let's see as a group, how can we test and learn? How can we experiment together? Mm. But, you know, I think what we're doing is just the start, really. You know, if I can, I can tell you that the staff retention for the businesses I'm using, uh, they're in it at the moment is 86%. I can't tell you if that's a good number or not, right? And no one can. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, well, maybe maybe not why you're maybe, doing it. Yeah, maybe 90 is better, you know, or maybe 50 is better. But maybe for my business, 50 is the right number because we're far casual. But maybe for, you know, the Ivy Group, a lot lower is better. I, you know, the correlation onwards from there will be really interesting. And actually, one of the businesses I'm involved in, Yuda, a chap called Matt Grimshaw, has started an HR tech business as I put some money behind and, and sort of worked with him on uh, called Yuda. And he's the guy that actually is going to take, I think connect a lot of the dots for people and he's involved in this project as well kind of behind the scenes powering some of this stuff and it's only when we start going you know we notice this when staff retention gets there and we see performance and that's for me when it gets quite exciting and i i don't want to sound defeatist but i think if we're really going to change hospitality and the culture within hospitality and make it a better place for our people which i think most people will agree that you know we're on a journey and it's getting better certainly than it used to be but yeah, there's some work to go for sure. Yeah, and I think if we're really going to make that change, then we have to be infiltrating budgets and we have to be in the boardroom conversations showing ROI on people initiatives. And we have to have investors that who want to, by the way, they care about this stuff, but probably not scientifically able to value a business on people metrics, you know. So, you know, getting sort of loftier aspirations now. But I think that starts with a bunch of really cool people who care about people in a room giving us their data talking about the same stuff, the same metrics. And then, then, you know, what's the next conversation is what's really exciting. And I, I think pineapple could become, you know, I think it could become a hallmark for great employment. And I see, I see, you know, a sticker in your window as a pineapple employer, you know, Love I it. think we can stand, we think we could stand for some really cool stuff, but right now it's a report. We'll send it out monthly. You give us your data. It's housed in us with a third party. So, you know, we don't see it. It's not ever going to be shared publicly. Uh, you give us your data, we feed it back to you in a report against yourself, against the subsector, QSR, and then we go from there and we'll see. But right now, I just need everyone to give me their data. So if, you're yeah. allowed, if this is my soapbox for a second, uh, you can be my advertising five minutes. Stand on it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, 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 my call to action out there. And listen, we've had an incredible response, by the way. We, we, we just got launched for the first time publicly on Friday last week. And I think the number so far is we've had 120 people or, uh, register interest to hear more. Yeah. Not yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're going to give us their data yet, not that they'd even pay to be part of it. I think we will turn this into a subscription model. We'd have to. There'll be some running costs to this, of course. Of course. But yeah, we had 120 of some, and there's some big names in there, which is really, really great to see. So uh, yeah, I think, we, I think we could be onto something. It's quite exciting. I completely agree with you, and I think you know you you've uh, something that I picked up on there that that you mentioned was uh, around kind of uniting the the industry. I've I've had this be in my bonnet for a very very long time. Around I I use a brave art uh, analogy. We have to unite the clans because we've always had a a we'll go off and do that, and we'll go off and do that. But actually, there's there's I mean we are definitely better at this than we were say ten years ago. But as an industry, we're still a little bit clan like in our approach to problem solving yeah. and the industry is vast right it's what is it the third biggest employer in the the uk third biggest contributor to the tax pot whatever i, I can't oh, even remember but it's massive yeah it's massive. yeah yeah so we should be taking ourselves a bit more seriously when it comes to the weight that we have we should be talking about 
the the problems but we shouldn't just be talking about the problems we should be doing something about it and i you know it definitely sounds like this is a wonderful step to to unite the clans as it were but also you know yeah i love it you you kind of you, you talked about maybe it's quite a lofty goal, but actually we need to have these lofty goals. I, I actually sat in a uh, an interactive webinar a couple of weeks ago, which was all about setting hairy, audacious goals. The sorts of goals hairy, that people around you goals, go, you're just, that. you're mental, you're mad. That that will never happen. And um, But I'm all for that, I, because otherwise, if you're not setting them big enough, then how are you, how are you ever going to fix any kind of major issues. This is a major issue that we've had for quite a long time. Well, it um, is, and yeah. Look, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to trip into doom stuff because it's, it's, it, there's so much positivity out there, and yeah, there's so much yeah. I love about hospitality. But you know, this this recruitment crisis, as it's called, uh, you know, for me, it's not new. Like you know, convincing an English kid to come out of school and take a career in hospitality wasn't happening 20 years ago. Yeah, we just didn't have to worry about it because we had some incredible people from around the, you know, from Europe and around the world coming in and doing incredible work. And and guess what? All those guys are now ops directors and running really successful restaurant businesses across the country, right? Yeah. So for me, the underlying issue has always been there that there's a sort of a PR problem with our industry and a, a working practice issue potentially and a cultural problem with hospitality. Some of it, it's always going to be a stepping stone, right? You're always going to have people that want to pass through, and I think that's hospitality sometimes at its finest, you know. You get the doctor for six months and you get the, the next architect for six months, then great, you know. But it also should be a place where people should, you know, where your mum and dad should be proud that you've gone to get a job at Honest or, at, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. And I don't think it's always been that. And I think that's why it's been tough, you know, that double whammy of Brexit and COVID has suddenly pulled that kind of, you know, turned that tap off and pulled that veneer away a little bit. And, you know, now we're having to ask ourselves some very tough questions about mental health and about flexible working and, you know, I'm I'm going to resist the terrible thing that I've done and other people do, where we try and talk for Gen Z. I, I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, know yeah, my yeah. children. Are, my children are eight and five, and my nephews are twelve and nine. I don't have Gen Zs close to me in my life, and I don't can't speak for them. But we we like to speak for them a lot, don't we? But good point. You know, yeah. one one thing's for sure is they're definitely asking more of us as employers and as as cultural kind of leaders, and and um, you know. It's uncomfortable for us in some ways, but man, it's 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 a challenge and it's probably a good one, right? So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I yeah, you know, is pineapple gonna? I think pineapple is the. I've tried everything else. Is kind of what I'm probably alluding to. I you know I've tried the cycle to work scheme and I've tried the, you know, the perks and the anniversary presents and the big staff parties and I've tried great training plans and all this and that and you know had limited success, I would say. Not as much as I would have liked. And actually, I think when you really get into it, how do you affect behavior every day? How do you change culture to what people happen to be with every day? And that there's often a behavioral something going on there. And that's often, a, you often track that with a piece of data. So, yeah, it's quite, if, if my mates from school could hear me now talking about data, they'd laugh their heads off because I'm not a, well, I've been a gut feel, I've been a gut feel. Philosophy, didn't you? It's just kind of anti-data. <laughs> Man, I've been a gut feel guy all my life. And uh <laughs> Yeah, I think working with Matt at Uda has really helped me. Doing the Masters has really helped me. You know, I had to do two modules of statistics. So I'm like, you know, data, data, data now. So, But listen, it's not all about data. I think gut has its place, but I think you should test your gut, not trust it is my new line. I think I said that the other day on an event. Very good, yeah. It's about, you know, founders need to use your guts, but you need to be able to test them. And that's where I think being able to benchmark yourself a little bit, have some data, experiment, hypothesize, did this work? I'm going to do this. And what, what impact did it have? I think sometimes we... 
we fly a bit blind in this space in hospitality. We sort of do stuff and we think maybe it had an impact. And, you know, you look at marketing yeah, now, it's really all closed know. loops. And then, you know, marketing has really moved on now in terms of closing the loop on initiatives. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's what we're going to do for the industry with pineapple. Maybe. But let's see. Let's see. Well, we'll give it a go. Yeah, I mean, look, one step at a time, right? You've you have uh, you have an aspiration. You've got uh, definitely some uh, interest. There's no question about that. I mean, when I read about it last week, when you were because we were supposed to have this chat a week ago, in fact, and I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, I didn't even know you were working on this. This is really interesting." I have signed up to it, by the way, and Abby has already been in touch. So right. I'll be very interested to see how how that moves forward but yeah well i mean look i wish you all the very best with that and anything this this humble little show can do to to kind of help nudge it up a, a bit or raise the awareness I, I will happily happily do that amazing well I'll, I'll do one last plug then which is i'll just steer people towards our we got a little we just created one little landing page we haven't done a website properly yet we've got the money but we uh this is pineapple.uk this is pineapple.uk and so if you sound like you might be interested in having a bit more of a chat with us if you go there give us your details one of us will reach out to you and we're doing a couple of calls next week, uh, live calls, if people want to drop in and ask some questions about it on the 20th and the 24th as well. So, yeah, anyone out there who likes the sound of what I just said, check the website out or join the calls or just find me on LinkedIn. I mean, I just let's just have a chat, you know what I mean? Let's just go for a beer or a burger or just talk on the phone and I'll, have to be a I'll talk to you about it. And if you're up for it, great. If not, all good. Do you eat any other food other than burgers or is it just <laughs> burgers? Well, I had, a, I had a lovely Chinese with Abby Dunn last night in Manchester. Yeah, I like, uh, I'm doing some work with a business called Dabba Drop at the moment, and they deliver curries to your door. So I'm kind of getting into like all the different styles of curries they're making and the chef, their, their head chef there is like really cool and they got some crazy ideas. So I've been, yeah, loving loving a curry at the moment. I've got that for dinner tonight, actually. It arrives, it arrives about four o'clock this afternoon. So I'm going to be eating a uh, curry tonight. Very nice. Tonight. Excellent. Well, I think uh, ending it on your, your food habits is a great way to wrap up the show. Absolutely. And it started to rain. I don't know if you oh, can it? So it's definitely a good time then. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting pretty wet out here now. So uh, Excellent. Look, thank you so much, Philip. I wish you all the best with the next chapter. Uh, you've definitely, I mean, you know, you mentioned the words, you're in a privileged position, but you've bloody earned the right to be there from, from starting basically with nothing to building what you've done is, you know, absolutely a hospitality success story. And I um, yeah, wish you all the very best with the next chapter. Thank you. No, that means a lot. And thanks, thanks for having me. It's nice. It's lovely. It's nice, nice to talk about it all. So thank you. No problem. Take care. Cheers, man. Cheers. And there we have it. So many wonderful lessons from Philip's journey, also highlighting what drive and determination can achieve. I'll be forever grateful to him for sharing his story and wish him all the best with pineapple. We'll be back as usual at 8pm next Wednesday for another story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.